Welcome to Cryptic Soup. Tonight's case is the story of Mary Vincent. Mary Vincent was a hitchhiking teen in the fall of 1978 when she was picked up by a man who ultimately attacked, raped, and left her for dead. Mary has a story that would change the world and ultimately help become an advocate for victims everywhere. I'm Kylie. And I'm Thena. And tonight, we have a case to share with you. Season two is among us. It is. It's here. It's here. This is it. <laughs> and we're starting it off with a listener request. That's so fun. See, you said it too, like the re- request. I feel like it's so diff- It's a difficult word. Request. That's re- the word. Request. Maybe I think it's a weird word. I think you are overthinking <laughs> the word request. <laughs> Far too hard. All right. So I know you have stories, but I have to I have to say something from I don't I don't remember if it was last episode or the episode before but remember that word niche or Mm -hmm. niche okay so we were at dinner the other night and I was like can we just talk about that word for a second because we were we were saying it in the sentence in a normal context I was like can we just talk about this word for a second and we couldn't figure it out we're like it's like tomato tomato it's got to be and then we looked it up are you ready for this so Google Translate, so like when they like say it to you, mm-hmm. says niche, right? That's even worse. But <laughs> when you look up how, like how to, you know, like the pronunciation of it, like actually reading it, it's niche. No. And then we typed it again and it said it was wrong. <laughs> oh, of course. That makes so sense. I think it's niche. I think the correct pronunciation is niche hmm. like i'm obviously gonna know what you mean if you say niche i'm obviously gonna know what you mean if you say niche but yeah it just feels google wrong. doesn't even know so we're fine <laughs> hmm. that's what we're gonna i don't really have that many stories my only story is i went camping in the streets of indianapolis yep there is <laughs> on the concrete <laughs> with my tent <laughs> yep. no i didn't take a tent i didn't take a tent i took i didn't take a tent oh we took chairs and we took sleeping bags and we, yeah, it was cold. It was very, very cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were camping for the 1975 concert and it was incredible. And we got up front and it was one of the most amazing experiences. Uh, Margie thought she didn't like the band. And then she went to the concert. She saw the band and she's like, I didn't know, but I actually do like the band. They're really good. <laughs> They're incredible live. And it's crazy because they use multiple stages and they put on a whole show um, if you're a person that can't handle strobe lights and can't handle smoking, he smokes cigarettes on stage and there's strobe lights and there's a lot of other crazy stuff that happens. It's meant to be a performative art piece. It's incredible though. It's, it's cool. It was a really cool concert. Nice. Yeah. So that was my whole story. Okay. My entire week in engulfed me in, um, a kidney infection. Jesus. So that was fun. That sounds fucking awful. So if you get a UTI, Call your doctor immediately (laughs) so that you don't get a kidney infection, because once your back starts to hurt and you just can't stop it, that's that's when you know that you've you fucked up. That sounds really awful. Yeah. No, this week was not fun for me at all. Mm. So 
it's kind of funny that I mean, it's not funny. Uh, I went and saw the 1975 and every single person's making a joke that's like over the age of like 35. Every time I'm there, like, so what do you who was it that you went and saw? And I'm like the 1975. Every single adult makes the exact same joke. Every single one. They're like, well, I don't know who that is, but I was alive during 1975. <laughs> and I'm like, I've heard that joke so much in the past week. I'm just like, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> like I have I have no like laughter left to fake because like, of that oh, yeah. joke. Yeah, were you? That I'm so over it. So it was really funny that uh the listener request was this case because this case is a 70s case. Mm-hmm. And instantly, like the first thing I had to do was talk about the 70s. And I was like, oh, I hate the 70s right now. I don't want to <laughs> talk about 70s. I've heard so many bad 70s jokes lately. And I'm like, wait, no. Which when most people think of the 70s, they associate it with like Watergate or Nixon, the women's rights movements, the gay rights movements, Mick Jagger and his fashion choices. Elton John rise like really big rise to fame at this point. Stevie Wonder, the Rolling Stones, all this stuff, because the 70s was a time for music and cultural and political change. There was a lot of things like economical struggles that were happening at the same time, but the decade was a host to a lot of complex movements that were slowly shaping the way for the future. Why am I talking about this? Because it goes in like hand in hand with tonight's case. I love Elton John. I do, too. Um, Harry Styles dressed up as him once for Halloween. <laughs> I just have to find a way to bring it up. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Just every time. <laughs> okay. If, if you were younger um, during the time period of the 70s, you were probably at the forefront of a lot of these changes and you were probably a part of who was wanting to shape them. And you probably have a different stance as some of the other people that didn't want anything to do with it and they didn't like the change and they thought it was a mess just everything that was happening because the 70s was such a big change for everything. Some people took refuge in music and this was the time right after the formation of Woodstock in 1969. So you have a lot of people that were doing like music as their, you know, their refuge, which if you think about Woodstock, you think of a lot of people hitchhiking and going to these places and writing with friends, writing. That's all going to come hand in hand with this episode. So and just, drugs, a lot of drugs. That part doesn't come in hand in hand. <laughs> that was that was Kylie's addition. She didn't know where I was going with my sentence. No. <laughs> but that's all I think. I think of like peace signs and I think of drugs. <laughs> I was going more the hitchhiking route because this episode's about hitchhiking. But yes, drugs and peace signs, too. Um, well, because like I wasn't alive. So I'm yeah. just only... You were like, what do you what do you think of when you think of Woodstock? And that was the the late 60s. And here in the early 70s, we're now adapting all that into the the, the 70s. So like the new norm. you're not wrong. Yeah, yeah, that is what was happening. And at a lot of time during this, a lot of the movies and films allude to the thought that young teens and early 20 somethings would hitchhike getting anywhere. And that's a lot of the stories we hear at this point in time and hitchhiking was something that was super common. But nowadays we hear all these horror stories that came in that because why would you put that much faith and trust in a total stranger? Right. This makes me think of that 70s show. Have you watched that 70s show? I've seen it all the way through, I think, once ever. OK, I probably have seen it all the way through, but like not religiously, like not beginning to end. Um, but they go to a concert and their car breaks down and then they hitchhike and they're like freaking out because they're hitchhiking. But I get it because back then we it, it's like the whole concept of 
the Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez. When you hear that story, you hear about all these people that just like left their doors unlocked and left their windows unlocked. And back then we didn't have that same fear and stuff that we do nowadays. Nowadays, if you don't have like a ring camera on your door, people think you're a crazy person because they're like, what if someone breaks into your house? Right. But if you ask our parents what they did for, you know, safety when they were growing up, they're like, I would lock the door if I felt frisky enough. And I'm like, oh, my God. You didn't even lock your door at night every night? What do you mean? Very different. Very different times. Yeah. I couldn't imagine. I I personally do not think I have what it takes to ever go hitchhiking. I don't think I could. Mm. Even if I had a time machine and I went back in time, I don't think I have the... Um, it's not like the audacity. The What am I thinking of? The lack of not having a fear. I would be too scared. <laughs> I can't like what are you trying to say here? I'd be scared of the rejection I don't want a car to reject me I don't want <laughs> that sounds really bad I would be nervous that a car would be like no I don't want to pick you up and I'd feel really sad and then also I am gullible enough I'm going to pick the wrong car I'm going to be the one that picks the car with the crazy killer yeah I'm instantly going to get in the van <laughs> not like the cool jeep that you can see out of and you could just uh ladybird that movie where she like just rolls out of the moving vehicle she doesn't roll she opens the door and like jumps out um yeah no i'm gonna go in the van that locks from the inside and then i'm fucked knowing my luck Mm -hmm. sounds about right so this begins our story tonight hitchhiking with mary vincent mary vincent was born in 1963 to lucy and herb in las vegas nevada do you watch tiktok cooking videos do I? Okay. That's like the only TikTok I'm on. I love. Do you do you like chef reactions? Do you know him? I like him. He's my favorite one, but he always on purpose says herb. He always goes herb and he says it really yes. strong. Yes. And I didn't know that Margie's never seen him before. And yesterday we were in the store and I was like, hey, do we need any herbs today? And she's like, <laughs> why did you say that? And I was like, oh, we're on different TikToks. <laughs> Oops. So Mary was born to Lucy and Herb. In Las Vegas, Nevada. (laughs) Mary grew up in Las Vegas where her parents worked for casinos. Of course, living in Vegas, that makes sense. I mean, where where else can you work? What what would you do? Yeah. Her father was like a mechanic type person who would fix the machines in different places. So he didn't like have a specific place he worked. He kind of went to different ones around different casinos. And then her mother was said to be a blackjack dealer. Mary had six siblings, and because of it, her family had their fair share of problems because probably money and things like that. Her parents were said to fight often, and during the time when she does get attacked, her parents were actually going through an extremely messy divorce. When Mary became a teenager, she would often defy her parents because they were extremely strict and raised her that way. She would often skip school, and at one point in the summer, she ran off with her boyfriend to live in his car with him. But if you're thinking like, oh, maybe that's where she ends up hitchhiking from. No, this relationship didn't last because authorities actually apprehended her boyfriend on charges of raping a different teenage girl. Oh, Mm -hmm. so he sounds like a keeper. (laughs) He clearly wasn't that great. And I'm glad he's no longer with Mary because she deserves better. She's the best. She is incredible, by the way. Instead of returning home after what happened with her boyfriend, Mary chose to live on the streets and she would pretty much just camp out where she could and live on the streets or inside unlocked cars she could find. Because, Hmm. again, people left their cars unlocked all the time back then. Now, one big thing about this story is this story takes place in the 1970s, the late 1970s. 
And because of that, there is a lot of sources on this because it's been many years. It's a solved crime, everything like that. However, because of the way records are kept and everything, there is a lot of details in the story that are just kind of slightly off. You'll hear sometimes that her grandfather lives in Corona, California. Other times you'll hear he lives in Berkeley, California. And even though they're not super far, they're definitely not like the same place. You'll also hear things like you'll hear that one time it was uh, Lawrence was 50. Other times you'll hear he was 51. And I do hear a lot of slight just like things that are different about this case, no matter every fact I check. So I went with what would be the most common for every single fact. So if I found, you know, 10 times it said something out of 10 sources I checked, let's say, if it said eight of them said one thing and then two said the other, I picked the eight if I could not find like one that was like in the court records. So going forward, just kind of know that. But there are some things where you might find a different answer when you dig into this case a little bit. And I tried to get you the most accurate things I could. It is a solved case, so you can really just find a lot anyways, but some discrepancies, discrepancies. Yeah. But overall, you'll get the gist. And this is an incredible episode to listen to. So even if I'm a a little wrong, dig into it yourself. Correct me if you want. I do not mind. But you got to hear this case. Trust me, you'll thank yourself for hearing it in the summer. No, that's not the time period. September (laughs) in the September of 1978. She traveled to Corona, California, where she was living with her grandfather. Now, one story is it was on the way to her grandfather's. She was hitchhiking. And another story is she made her way to her grandfather's house, but found herself homesick for life back with her parents. And they even though they were going through the divorce, she really missed her parents and she wanted to go back home. So sometimes she's on the way to her grandfather's and then sometimes she's on the way leaving her grandfather's from the story. Mary was only 15 years old at the time of this whole event, and she would she would end up traveling over 400 miles through hitchhiking. Like this whole story is about hitchhiking. She's 15. Mm hmm. Wow. Mary had hitchhiked in the past with no issues, so she didn't think there would be any looming threat with doing this again. And Mary was a really small person. She was only five foot two and she had a very tiny frame. Mando, who you guys know from a previous episode in the archives. We talked about this episode and we agree. If you look at pictures of Mary Vincent, she could easily pass for like a little sister of Carrie Fisher. She's so freaking cute. She almost looks more like Carrie Fisher than Carrie Fisher's daughter, Billy Lord does. Mary, like I said, she was really tiny and everything. She was in great shape because she was actually an avid dancer and she had dreams of becoming a professional dancer and touring with a dance company someday. She was really good. And they do think that part of this might have really affected her Well, this does affect her life, but she could have potentially had those dreams become a reality. But obviously this stunts that and makes that not come into fruition. After a while of traveling and hitchhiking, Mary came across someone who was willing to help her and let her into their vehicle. It was a man named Lawrence Singleton. He was a 50 year old man who seemed really friendly and helpful. Previously, while hitchhiking, though, Mary had made some friends with two other people who had obviously been doing that same activity. And these two were heading in the same direction as her, pretty much. So the group of three people figured that they should all see if they could get picked up together because they're safety in numbers, right? But when Lawrence pulled his van over, that wasn't the case. They all noticed the van was empty, so there was more than enough room for three people inside this van, right? 
But he mentioned he only had room for one person and it needed to be like a female he kind of mentioned. And he was like, oh, yeah, like Mary, you can get in the vehicle. And he said where he was going and it ended up only being 45 minutes away from where Mary needed to go. So she's like, oh, my God, this is perfect. But the other two people were like, this is a bad sign. Like, I don't think you should do this. But Mary at the time was so like ecstatic that it was almost like perfect timing, perfect location stuff. She didn't see it that way. She's like, oh, you guys are like reading into it. Like, what's what's the worst that could happen? Because Mary is the type of person that sees the best in everything. So, you know, she was she thought he was a nice, friendly guy. Yikes. That's a really that's a red flag, though. Yeah. But in the moment, she didn't notice it. And plus, because if she's never heard of these horror stories, maybe she really didn't think that people could be this cruel. I I get it. When you're younger, you have faith. I in suppose. People. Yeah. In the beginning, Lawrence did seem nice enough and he gave her grandfather vibes, she said, which she had just came from seeing her grandfather potentially and all that. So, you know, she had grandfather vibes on the mind. Now, this man, Lawrence Singleton, he went by Larry. He was born in 1927 in Florida. He was a merchant seaman and he had been married a few times. He had an estranged daughter and his biggest downfall was that he had a big drinking problem. And it led him in some pretty hot water over the years. He had been previously convicted of contributing to the delinquency of a minor and had a history of alcohol abuse. And some people said his alcoholic side was quite mean. Obviously, Mary knew none of this. So she was just like, it's a nice older man who's willing to help me out. Lawrence's good vibes ended really quickly in the car. He started to act slightly odd and it worried Mary. For example... Lawrence lit a cigarette and that made Mary sneeze, which instantly prompted Lawrence to be like, are you sick? And he put his hand to her neck to try to read like and feel her temperature. Mm. She was like, that's weird, you know, like, but Mary tried to put off the bad feeling and she was like, I just need to calm down. She ended up falling asleep. When Mary woke back up, she noticed something new and it felt even worse and more unusual about the ride. She noticed that they were going the wrong direction. So she grew uneasy and she found a sharp stick in the vehicle and she pointed it at Lawrence and threatened him that he needed to turn around and go the right way. Lawrence claimed that he was he was an honest man who made a mistake and he said he felt really sorry and he turned around instantly and started driving back in the right direction. Soon after, they agreed to pull over and take a bathroom break because Lawrence said he needed to. When this happens, Mary notices that her shoe's untied. And some stories recall that Mary's like, hey, if I end up needing to outrun this man, he is a little old man, but I can't do it if my shoes are untied. So I might as well tie my shoes. So she thinks that Lawrence goes to go to the bathroom and she's kind of like stretching her legs and she bends over to tie her shoe. But instantly she's hit with something over her head and gets knocked out. Lawrence knocks Mary unconscious with a sledgehammer that he drug Uh, that he took out from the van and then he drug her to the back of the van. With a sledgehammer. Mm -hmm. That's painful. Very painful to the back of the head. Yeah. When she regained consciousness, Lawrence had tied Mary up and began to violently start raping and sodomizing her multiple times. They think it was about six times or so that he does this. He keeps repeatedly telling her he would kill her if she screams. Lawrence then bound Mary's hands behind her back and told her she had to obey him if she wanted to live. He drove for a little while longer before again coming to a stop where he cut her hands free. He took her to the edge of the road and then Mary was begging Lawrence to let her go when he suddenly said, you want to be free? I'll set you free. He then grabbed a hatchet out of his vehicle 
grabbed one of her arms and swung the hatchet, digging it into her arm. Mary said she started to fall and he swung again. She started to grip tightly onto his arm to like keep herself steady, but instead she still fell and hit the ground and looked over only to see that her arm was missing, replaced with squirting blood pouring out of where her arm should have been. At this point, Mary's left arm was severed a few inches below her elbow and Lawrence now moved on to repeating the action with her right arm. Mary was fighting back with all of her might, hoping that someone could hear her, but all it did was make the ordeal take longer, and Lawrence was now struggling to chop through the same area to sever her arm, so he's now just, like, hacking at her. He then pushed Mary down a 30-foot embankment into the Del Puerto Canyon into a concrete cement drainage pipe, leaving her for dead while naked, falling in and out of consciousness without arms, telling her, okay, now you're free before driving off. That's, that's not what I meant by free. Yeah, that's sadistic also. Oh, yeah, it is. That's, that's dark that you have to, like, think that that is. But, like, where did it come from? It was so, like, random. Because he's, we'll get to him. Okay. Mary said, and this is, like, a quote that she later says, I was talking to God the whole time when I was awake. Actually, I was screaming at him saying, hey, Let me go to sleep. I'll deal with this tomorrow. But I knew that wasn't an option. And something kept reminding me of that. From the fall, she ended up uh, getting four broken ribs. So she has four broken ribs, no hands. Her arms are cut just a few inches below her elbows. She's bleeding out. She's still dealing with the going in and out of consciousness because of the blow to her head. And now she needs to find a way to get out of a 30 foot embankment that she has not fell on her own, but like fell down. Well, Mary's managed to survive this far, so that's what she's going to keep doing at this point. She's at this point trying to climb back out without having any hands or like really arms that are working to help assist her in this process. She remembered someone saying, I was told if you're bleeding and you don't have anything to cauterize it, stick your wound in dirt until the blood congeals. Mm -hmm. So she did that. She stuck her arms in mud and then held them up above her head to try to slow down the bleeding. And you have to know, like, they're at her elbows. So they're like, this sounds kind of like I'm making fun of it. And I'm not, but they're, they're kind of like nubs at this point. She's mm-hmm. like holding these bloody. Cause you have to think of how someone else is going to perceive this when they see her. Then after she finally crawls out of that, she makes it up to the road where she can like hear cars passing. So she's like, I just have to make it to that road. She walks for three miles and she finally finds the road. It's Interstate 5, and she tries to start flagging down drivers to hitchhike. I mean, what else are you going to do? Because that's all she can do. Right. But also, you have to remember, she's naked, covered in blood and mud, with stumps for arms at this point, above her head, covered in mud, bleeding out, and that's what she looks like. Right. Yeah, the first car saw her and was so horrified, they just turned around and sped away without helping her. I mean... Okay. Yeah. That Mm -hmm. reminds me... Of the Jothi Singh. Yep. Which, again, in the archives, horrific story. Mm-hmm. One of the darkest timeline stories we've told. Like, that one's that one's rough. Finally, a second car comes by, and this car stops. It was a truck, and it was a couple that saw Mary, and they knew she was in desperate need of medical attention. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, and this couple, kind of funny story, they were a couple that was honeymooning and they had just taken a wrong turn. <laughs> Good. Everything for a reason. Yes. Like perfection. So they were worried that whoever attacked Mary was still out there and it could do it to someone else. When they get Mary, they have to like put Mary in the bed of the truck 
Okay. And that was very difficult, obviously. Mm -hmm. When they finally do, they try to tell her to stay still to like preserve her blood, like from spilling out more things like that. But also Mary's like, no, no, no. I want to get everything out. I want to tell everyone everything. Like I want to get this man caught. And Mary's just like bubbling with information. She's like, I want to tell everything. Yeah. So finally they get Mary into the truck and they get a phone call to the paramedics and a medivac uh, helicopter is brought in to help get Mary to a hospital. Okay. Once she's at the hospital, she instantly is like, I need to talk to the police. Like, I need to. This is something that I would, like, I said, I've said this before. Like, this is how I would be. I'd be like, yes. I, if I'm dying, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Taking Let you, taking least. you fucking down with yes. me. <laughs> if you're like, oh, just rest or, oh, you have to go into surgery. No, no. you're going to listen to me first. Because what if yes. I die in that surgery? What if I don't make it out? No, I'm doing this now. Yep. Because no one else is going to go through what I just did. Yep. The ripple that my death is going to have, I'm never going to let this happen to someone else. You will fucking listen to me right now. Yeah. Like this is the stop. This is the stopping point. Which again, remember, that's what Jothi did. Yeah. Jothi was like, hey, yeah, I can't talk, but uh, I'll draw you pictures. Like I'll mm-hmm. do this. I'll do whatever it takes. She was so committed or even like almost any of our survival stories are yeah. like that, too. They're like, yeah. hey, yeah, uh, I know you want me to go back for surgery. First, like, listen to me. But first. And it's so, like, I love those people. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what happened here. The doctors were like, okay, hey, you need some rest and relaxation. And that's what you need to do. And, like, the doctors are telling this. And she's like, yeah, so I'm going to go talk to the police now. She helps the police identify the attacker by giving them essentially what it takes for them to create the sketch. Mm -hmm. And this sketch was so accurate that it took only 10 days for someone to see it. And perfectly identify Lawrence. Wow. 10 days. 10 days. 10 days. Wow. While in the hospital, they noticed that Mary had lost over half of the blood in her body. Wow. Also, most of the remaining blood she had was infected. Yep. Because of everything that she had happened to her at this point. She was in so much serious need for medical attention. She had to go through so many intensive surgeries. She was fitted for prosthetic arms And over the years, she has to go through a lot of physical therapy, therapy for the arms and intensive psychotherapy to cope with everything she went through. Right. But when it came time for trial and conviction, it was only six months after the attack. And a jury had found Lawrence guilty of kidnapping mayhem, which I didn't know what mayhem was exactly. So I wanted to look it up. It's deliberately causing permanent disfiguration and injury to a person. Oh, okay, Interesting. I thought it would be more like... crazy yeah 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 Yeah. no because like you think of mayhem you think of like causing a disruption well i mean i think i think of dc honestly oh well i think of like mayhem and pandemonium sound like the same vibes to me but pandemonium like i would just think like if i was causing pandemonium i would be like i'm you know breaking everything in the room causing chaos yeah but causing mayhem i wouldn't think that i'm injuring someone i would think that i'm Tearing everything in the room part? I don't know. It's a weird yeah, it's one. like the same thing. Yeah. Um, also, he was found guilty of attempted murder, rape, sodomy, and forced oral copulation. Copulation, sorry. Mary had testified at the trial against Lawrence. And here's the downside. He ended up with the 14-year sentence because that was the maximum at the time for this. Nope. For all those crimes combined, 14 years was maximum. And the judge did say something being like, if I could, I would put you away for your entire natural life. Yep. Lawrence insisted that Mary was just a sex worker and he denied that he committed any crimes that day. 
She's 15. Mm-hmm. You're an idiot. He also maintained that someone else was in the car and Mary actually threatened him that day with false accusations. And he said that the threat, a big part of it was when she threatened him with that. um, The stick. The stick. Yeah. He's like, oh, I remember when she did that. Also in the trial, he called her a, and I quote, $10 a night whore. Love that. Yeah. You're doing great. Mary told reports that when she walked past Lawrence in the court, that he told her, I'll finish the job if it takes me the rest of my life once he's released from prison to her. He said that. That's Mm. disgusting. I just I don't understand how you can't just like put that man. Why can't you just put this man on death row? Yes, exactly. Like immediately with like in that like he is literally threatening her life. Like, how is that not? How is that okay? Well, and he clearly threatened her life when he attempted to kill her by throwing... Well, no, I know, but you know what I mean. And I think, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but didn't the whole reason maybe he cut off her hands is so, like, if she was found, he wouldn't be... There's no no fingerprints, no body, no crime type things, like you see? Oh. Maybe I'm wrong, but that seems like a sadistic enough thought. Like, it would have taken longer to find out who she was, because I doubt she had tattoos or any other features that would have really right away showed who she was because i'm sure back then um if you were that far out of a jurisdiction maybe you wouldn't have we've learned if you're out of certain jurisdictions different companies didn't talk to other companies and different jurisdictions didn't talk to jurisdictions we've had so many issues i mean we had that in the michael allen case and they were just on two different sides of a fucking river right on two sides of a river and one one half the river had a head, one half the river had a body. And they were like, well, this probably isn't the same person, <laughs> even though the head's missing a body and the body's missing a head. Right. What do you mean? That's ridiculous. <laughs> like, I need to talk to police back in the day because they need some n- know-how advice. Yeah. I agree. So Lawrence ended up having this 14-year sentence, the maximum. He was freed in 1987 after only serving eight years and four months. He was released for good behavior. He was released on parole in San Quentin. However, it was noted he also showed no remorse and he still claimed he was innocent and he never assaulted or attempted to murder Mary. Yeah, so I don't care how nice you think you are in prison, but you don't deserve it. There were massive public protests about his release, but the courts were just like, we were going to allow it. Now, Lawrence still claimed he was the true victim in the events of 1978. As he remembered it, he said, she was very violent, Mary was. She threatened to accuse him of rape, and she threatened him with a stick. Ultimately, she's the monster here, he said. Because of this, he tried to sue Mary. Okay. He blamed Mary for the reason of why he was violent, and he filed a complaint against her with the courts. Luckily, no one took this seriously, and the suit ended up getting dismissed. Good, because like, you know, how does the person, okay, how does he claim that she was violent when he doesn't have anything on his body? And meanwhile, she doesn't have arms anymore. Right, like she doesn't have any hands, like, bro. (laughs) She can't be a dancer anymore because of this, like Like, that affected her whole life. Yeah. In 1990, Lawrence was arrested for petty theft, and he only served a small amount of time out of the two years he was given, and he was released early. Then in the 1990s, Lawrence moves back to Florida because he was having a tough time trying to live in California. Nowhere was accepting of him, which originally he had to stay in California because of his parole. But then everywhere he pretty much just kept moving. People were like, no, 
and they were harassing him where he was living. Good. As they should. Yes. So while living in Sulphur, he moves back to Florida and he lives in Sulphur Springs in Florida. Lawrence strikes again. Damn it. In February 19th, 1997, he lured a sex worker named Roxanne Hayes into his home. Oh, he he thinks he's being smart about it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, you know, really thought this one through. Right. Roxanne was a mother of three and she was out working when she became a victim to Lawrence. The neighbors heard Roxanne's screams and they ended up calling the police. But by the time the police got there, authorities found out it was too late. Officers arrived to find her body on the floor covered in blood with stab wounds all over. So he found out that cutting people's arms off or hands off doesn't necessarily kill them. He's like, now like, I have to stab now, everywhere. Yeah, like, right. Now I have to do it differently. And that is what we've talked about in previous things. Like when they get caught, if you if they don't learn their lesson, they up the ante. Yeah, that's really what it is. And that's the same way we've. OK, this is such a fucking flashback. And I don't know if you're going to remember all this, but do you remember the Gainesville Ripper? Yes. <laughs> the first ever episode. You mean the one that we did four times? Yes. <laughs> do you remember how he just kept upping the ante? He was a peeping Tom. Yeah. Then he wanted to break in and stuff. And like he just kept getting a little bit closer. He just kept little doing bit, a, little a little bit, bit more. more. Yeah. More crimes. Then he started kind of following the girls around Walmart. And that's when he finally made the decision. He's like, I'm going to break in. And then he breaks in and he's like, mm, I'm going to rape them maybe. And he's like, no, no, I'm going to attack. Yeah. And that's when it like hits. And then he starts and he just doesn't stop. And he just keeps going and going. And it's that like amp up. I feel like a lot of killers do that because they don't a a lot of them don't have a cool down period because they're afraid they're going to get caught or they're so I don't know why they feel so hyped killing people because I don't have that urge clearly. But like right. they like, I mean, that's a good thing. But the thing is, is that amp up like that's I mean, like, I don't know any other way to describe it. It's that, though. It's the fact that they want to just keep taking it to the next level, the next level, the next level. And they feel like that's the only way they're going to satisfy because I feel like a lot of killers. I feel I don't know. I'm not a killer. I keep like giving this disclaimer. I feel like they're trying to um, cash in on some urge they have. Yeah, it's like maybe it's. Some form of like instant gratification. Like yes. I could probably do. Well, and it's probably a rush. And so they're. But that's the thing is after you do it the first time, that rush is a little bit dulled now. So now mm-hmm. you have to do something bigger. Then you right. have to do something bigger. It's like the people that have adrenaline junkie. You know, they go bungee jumping and they're like, oh, that's great. But now I need to do something else. So now I need to go skydiving. Oh, that's great. Now I need to do something else. Maybe I need to like uh, go race car driving. And now I need to do something else. You know, they keep upping the ante. But I don't know where this like little accent's coming from that's happening all of a sudden. Okay. <laughs> I was just wondering. <laughs> I was like talking faster than my words could produce the, the words. Um, and that's what happens, I feel like, with a lot of killers. They are first assaulters or they're peeping toms or they're mm-hmm. sexual assaulters. They are people that go through, you know, violently sexually assaulting people, raping people, attacking people. And then it turns to murder or torture and all these like kidnapping and stuff like that. Or the same can be said about a kidnapper. They're a kidnapper first and then they loved that rush. But then they realize that there's two options. That person gets away and or, you know, you Mm -hmm. have to kill them or something Mm -hmm. and they up the ante. And I feel like that's a thing we need to think about when we're releasing people from these paroles or these prisons or anything we have to think about is the anti met or did they learn or do they have the remorse? Are they actually a changed person? Right. I feel like that's where we let things slip through. <sighs> but nowadays this guy would have been a I don't life know. sentence. 
Oh, yes. So, yes. It I'm wouldn't hope. have. Yeah. But still, that that's that's so frustrating, too. So frustrating. So in 1998, after this murder takes place, Mary flew. Now, Mary goes into hiding, by the way. When she left the hospital and stuff, she got fitted for her prosthetic arms within like 10 days or something. Okay. She starts her prosthetic journey really, really early. And then she also starts going home and she's having all these issues where she's having nightmares. She's having um, psychological issues. She's having PTSD. She eventually hears that he's being released from prison and she goes, she moves and she pretty much becomes a hermit because at first she's really scared for everything. She's scared for her life, for her safety. And remember, well, as she should be because he threatened her. I was going to say, remember the promise he made her. And so yeah. she's, she's nervous. She's freaking out. Well, in 1998, after this murder takes place, she comes out and she's like, no, I have to take a stand. So she flies all the way to Florida and she testifies again against Lawrence, this time in the murder trial. And she also details her own story again to highlight just how depraved of a human Lawrence is, was, and will be always how he's never changed and how he should genuinely be sentenced to death. Good. After this trial, finally, a form of justice was served. Most people believe because on April 14th, 1998, Lawrence was sentenced to death. However, damn it. I know you hate when I say that. (laughs) Yeah. He was on death row and he was on death row for only three years and he was 74 years old. Lawrence dies of cancer instead. He doesn't get that way out. I don't think that I don't I'm not saying cancer is easy. It is Mm -mm. not. But it's not the goodbye that some of the people that suffered. Mary should have gotten that justice of being able to see if she wanted to. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's a form of um, closure. Yes. I was going to say self-care and I knew that was wrong. There's a form (laughs) of that's not the word I wanted. There's a form of closure. I feel like for a lot of victims, when you do get to see that final moments and sometimes seeing and hearing those final words or anything, if they aren't pieces of shit that say something stupid. Yeah. Um, But things like that, that closure sometimes is needed. And I feel like she didn't get that. And of all people, Mary deserved that. Mary Vincent had a very different life after her entire uh, after this entire attack. She was fitted for the prosthetics, like I said, less than two weeks after her attack. Then she began to start tinkering with them and customizing her arms over the years. And she would like customize them. She also began having a life as an artist and she attended the University of Nevada in Las Vegas. She had two sons and she's been married twice. She's currently married and she became an advocate for survival stories and for survivors everywhere who speak out about victims rights. She's also an incredible artist. She paints all these things and stuff like that. That's amazing. And she talks about how she couldn't even pick up a pencil and draw a straight line before this attack. Yeah. But nowadays she's like, she has the motivation and it gave her something to like work for. That's awesome. Now, before we end this, I've discussed the idea of how people nickname killers like the media and stuff. And I've talked about how I think it's so disrespectful when we like give them the annoyingly cool nicknames because like they're not cool people. (laughs) Don't give them a cool nickname. I have this personal thing I do and it's gotten me in trouble a few times when arguing back in the day specifically with this one local girl that uses a nickname for her real name (laughs) I don't like her and so purposely I go out of my way to not call her the nickname and people always correct me and be like her name is this and I go no it is not nicknames are reserved as like a name for when you like 
are friends and like that person and respect that person. And I do not. So I'm going to call her her real name. <laughs> and I do that every time. And people have always gotten so mad at it. She's the only person I do this to. But it's really funny. And I do that with serial killers, too. And there is someone I got into an argument with because they called. Oh, my God. What serial killer? They called like John Wayne Gacy, Johnny or something like that. Like, that's not it. But they gave. Uh, yeah, they gave a serial killer like a nickname and like called him that and like kind of like acted like he's like cool. And so, well, in that case, it's like a term of endearment almost. Yes. Like, yeah. And I was like, no, we don't do that. Right. So I have beef with like nicknaming serial killers, even like the media nicknames. But I have to tell you because it's a cool one also. And it's so fucking disgusting when they're cool. I don't like it. What do you think Lawrence Singleton's nickname is? I have no idea. The Mad Chopper. That's lame. That's so lame. I think it's cool because it sounds like a biker term. It does sound like a biker term. That's why I think it's lame. (laughs) Well, it's lame because of what we know that he did. But like if he was like a cool biker guy, oh, he'd be so cool. Mad Chopper. Yo, that's true. But because he's a terrible person, what he did to earn that name makes me angry. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So when it comes to this case, like when I think about it, I personally like I really feel that Mary was just such a strong person that that's what got her through all this. And I am nervous. I would never be able to do that. I feel like I would have given up when I'm her. I think I would have been too scared to try and continue because I've always thought about this. And I talk about the movie Disturbia because that's always my favorite I know, one to I talk about. I was literally thinking of that movie <laughs> this whole time. So I always go think for that it. I'm a big badass and that like I could survive this and stuff. But I'm also a very big scaredy cat. And I'm very nervous that I'm the person that would like second guess everything. And I'd be like, don't come out yet. He might be still there. Don't come out yet. He might be still there. And then I'd just accidentally like bleed out and die or something. I would just accidentally end up dying. Or like I'm the type of person. <laughs> accidentally end up dying. I would. <laughs> or like I'm the type of person where I'm like, I can't round this corner. Because what if it's a game to him? What if he's like the Texas Chainsaw guy and he's actually chasing me and he knows I'm loose? And like... He knows where I'm at before I can actually get there. Do you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. does that make sense? Yeah. And it I'm I'm scared that I would die of a really stupid way. (laughs) Like falling down the stairs or like something like that. Yeah. Or like (laughs) I'm the person that wouldn't see the bear trap on the floor and I would just step in it. And then I'm like, oh, crap. Now I'm going to bleed out right here. Because I stepped in a bear trap. Like from your ankle. Yes. That would be so painful. I'm going to die in the stupidest way. It's going to be so embarrassing when you guys find me. (laughs) Please don't do a case about my death. It's going to be so embarrassing. Kylie, how do you feel? How do you feel after you hear this about me? Okay. So you said at the beginning of your of your feelings that you felt that she that Mary is very strong. And I agree with that. But then you were like. I don't think I would do it. It's like, oh, no, me. I would live in spite of this person. <laughs> like, I would not. I would just be like, I have to fucking live so that I can see this guy behind bars. Like that is that would be my motivator. Um, And this also reminds me. Is it Allison Botha? Yes. OK, that reminds me of this because it's just like it's so there's there's so much willpower. I was going to say the sheer willpower to live. Yes. Just to move forward and be able to live in them in like, I mean, I'm sure there's a certain amount of shock. So maybe it's not so painful in a sense. Um, I hope anyway, but 
I, I know that Allison was very much in shock and like she was like, oh, yeah, oh, she like was I'm holding, holding her own yeah, stomach, I'm holding, holding my intestines. But um, available in the archives. Yes. Allison Bosa. But Mary, she probably did still feel some some pain. This has nothing to do with this, but it does with what you're saying. Corey heard my story. I have it looks like I'm flipping you off. I have nerve damage and tendon damage in this finger. I can't feel it anymore. Uh Uh I shut my hand in an SUV door this weekend in the trunk door and it shut right at my like second knuckle, my middle finger, you guys. And uh, this was in the parking garage. And then I didn't know what to do. So I ripped my finger out of the door by pulling it as hard as I could. And I didn't cry the entire concert, even during the acoustic set and stuff. So then I'm standing there and I'm just looking at my finger as it's like throbbing. And I felt like I could see it pulsing. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it hit me and I started crying because of the pain. And then I started crying because the concert. And then I started crying because Margie felt bad. And then <laughs> the floodgates opened and I could not stop. And it was like 30 <laughs> minutes of just crying. And I started doing that thing where you're crying so hard that you like make yourself almost sick. Yeah, and I was like, like hyperventilating. Yeah. And I was like, Margie, yeah. I got to stop crying. I got to stop crying. And then I knocked my makeup palettes off of a fucking ravine i don't know a better way to describe it and i was like my makeup palettes and then i'm crying about that and meanwhile i like can't do anything because my hand and margie's like can you, can you just sit can you just sit down in the car why don't, you, why don't you take off your skirt and sit down and i was like i can't i can't unbutton my shirt i can't move my head and you know what i've realized i'm a pussy i'm such a pussy i don't handle pain i have i have zero pain tolerance just none like literally if someone wants to torture me just you know bend my finger two inches back and i will crumble also with that same concept if you really want to torture me just put like a jalapeno on my tongue i'll cry i can't handle spice either i'm a pussy in every possible way for being a big bad tough like i seem so much tougher than i am oh my god i'm such a fucking pussy you guys just because we have tattoos doesn't make us tough. Yeah, I'm so bad with pain. <laughs> and so it's just funny because you're like, oh, I'm sure that it's the pure shock. For the first 10 seconds looking at my hand, I was in so much shock that I like I kind of get what you're saying. Yeah, Because I was just like, oh, my God, I think my f- finger might fall off. Like it yeah. felt like it wasn't attached anymore. And I was like, what? What do I do if my finger falls off? And it wasn't until Margie <laughs> looks at me and I like I yelped. I scream yelped. And I kind of was like, ah, ah, ooh, ah. And I was like making all these noises at first, but like not like crying or anything. The tears did not start for like a solid three minutes later. I was like kind of holding it together. And then all of a sudden I like put my head down and they like came out of nowhere. And Margie's just like, oh my God. Because <laughs> I was in so much shock at first that the pain didn't process. Yeah. So like. And that that was a, I mean, I, it was a lot of pain, clearly, because I fucked my whole finger. I have no feeling anymore in my finger for a few months. However, um, what they went through, the shock they are probably in. Yeah, I'm sure. It Ten hurts, times. But also, I'm sure at some point you become like numb, almost numb to it. Yeah, yeah. because you don't know what else to to feel and you're you're running on adrenaline and pain. Yeah, and I was going to say your adrenaline kind of takes over. So I think that that's kind of well, I think that's why adrenaline takes over to keep you alive to keep you alive so it's like your your brain isn't gonna feel the pain until it's have you it ever, comes to you know i don't even know what it what it means like have you ever had an adrenaline relaxed. shot like when people stab the adrenaline shots in you no oh me neither i didn't know if you had maybe 
Have you ever, what's the most adrenaline junkie thing you've ever done in your life? I rode the Tower of Terror. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I mean, same, but is that really? (laughs) Yes. Yes. I was terrified for my life and then I hated every second of it. And I don't, well, I don't like adrenaline at all. Like any sort of, any sort of rides. That's why I don't ride rides. Cause like, see, like even the Jurassic Park ride. That's one oh, drop yeah. at the end that you just get fucking soaked. I hate that drop, but I love the ride. See, I'm the other. So that's Kylie and I'm Fina and I love adrenaline. Roller coaster is my favorite thing. I will cry before the first coaster of the day every time in line. I'll cry because I forget I love them. I will cry up until the moment we are on the first drop. I will be crying as you're buckling me in. And the workers will be like, are you sure you want to do this? And I will be crying. I'll be like, yes, I love coasters so much. <laughs> and I'm ugly crying because my body does not think that it wants to do this. And then the moment we get off, I'll be like, oh, my God, that was so fun. Do you want to do it again? And then if we take too long of a break, it'll happen again. Like if we go and have an eat break and I'm off a coaster for like another hour or two, the moment we restart, my body will resume the cry. So it's very funny because the people at Cedar Point think I'm a fucking crackhead. Um, <laughs> they see it every every time. But um, I love I love coasters. I don't Mm-mm. like rides like slingshots or anything like that. No. Or like the ones where you just drop. But that's more of like a safety thing. Um, I, I just agree. don't like those. Yeah. Um, I know what can happen and I'm just not having that. That is not the way I would like to die. If I die on a coaster, I'm OK because those are at least fun. That other one, it's not even fun. So I'm just dying for nothing. I'm just dying so that I look cool in front of my friends. Like I'm not a pussy. I am a pussy. I don't care. I don't want to die like that. No, thank you. Um, I'll die on the fun ride. So uh the most crazy adrenaline things I think I've done. Um, I mean, like, it depends. Some people find some things like super adrenaline. Like I've went swimming with sharks, but to me that wasn't adrenaline. It was just fun. Like that was cool. Or like I've went bungee jumping, like off one of the canyons into the water, you know, mm-hmm. to me, that was terrifying. Oh mm-hmm. my fucking God. I was not ready. And they pushed me and I started crying and screaming on the way down. And I swear everything in me thought that that was that the moment thing snapped. And I was like, <gasps> this is the end of my days. And then I, it wasn't. And I was like, Oh, well that was that. Okay. Well now <laughs> I look like a pussy again. And then they were like, do you want to do it again? And I was like, no. you know, no, that was a good one. I'm good. Turns out that's not the one I like. I do like roller coasters more, but that was incredible. Highly suggest if you love, if you love adrenaline, bungee jumping is the way to go. No, thank you. I don't want to go skydiving. That's just not my vibe. That one just doesn't seem fun to me. So sorry. Um, Something I really, 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 really love and I want to do again. I've only done it once, but God, this is my favorite adrenaline rush. I'm trying to think of the exact one I've done, but I can't think of it. Uh, um, I went race car driving. Okay. Where you get strapped in and they have to teach like you the real race. Car yeah. Driving. Where yeah. you have to like pay a lot of money and they have to teach you how to do it and stuff like that. Yep. And you have to go through the little course. Sign the waivers. Yeah. And we got to go up to 123 miles an hour was the max the car could do. I personally went like 110 because I was too scared. He's like, literally put your foot to the floor. And I was like, no, thank you. I'm good. <laughs> no, no I, I was still really young. I was like 22. I, you had to be 21 to do it. I was still really young, but that was incredible. I want to do that again. The best ones I've been told are in Florida. That'd be really cool. But if not, there's some in like Indy and, um, cause the Indy 500, they have a bunch of them there, but they have some like 
pretty much in every state. I want to do that again. I think it would be so fun. Um, that's my adrenaline fuel. Interesting. Yeah. Do you want to have something adrenaline you want to do? I want to eventually touch, like touch, just, just, just touch an orca whale. (laughs) Really? Well, I originally had wanted to be a, a trainer. I was going to do that. And then a blackfish came out. Yeah, that'll do it to you. So nope, not doing that. <laughs> well, maybe uh, maybe someday you guys will hear us tell a story about how we all go race car driving. We'll take like Corey and Margie and Corey, Corey will would love have, it. Oh my god, he'll Corey will love it. Thine will love it. Kylie will be I'll a probably, little. No, I probably love it. I was gonna say Kylie will be like a little bit of loving it, but not near to the level of Corey. It'll be like Corey's obsessed the most. Corey's a level ten. Thina's like a nine point seven. Kylie's like a nine point two. Margie's like a solid five. I feel like Margie will be like, this is how I normally drive because <laughs> she's normally so sketchy of a driver. No offense, Margie. Love you. <laughs> yeah. Today she told me I'm a worse driver than her. No, wait. I'm a better driver than her. No, wait. Worse. No, better. Wait. You're doing great. Hmm. I don't mm-hmm. remember what she said. <laughs> I'm done. I don't know. Either I'm better or worse than her. One or the other. So that's a good story, right? Tell us what you guys think about adrenaline and what your guys' goals are. But also, thank you for listening to this week's case. And we want you to specifically tell us how this case made you feel as well, because you heard how we feel. So we want to hear your guys' opinions. Thank you for joining us after dark. We can't wait to chat with you next week for another new episode. Sleep tight. Did you have some feedback about this week's case? Or maybe you want to chat with us. Maybe you even have a suggestion you'd like to throw our way. We're always just a click away. You can easily find all of our socials on Linktree through Cryptic Soup Pod, which is available in our Instagram bio. You can also join the CSP Discord where we would love to chat with you. Thank you for joining us this week and make sure to check out our sources available in the description if you want to dive deeper into this case. Don't forget to show your support and love for CSP by leaving a review and rating wherever you normally listen. Next week, we will be back with a new episode where you can join in on the conversation after dark. Cryptic Soup Pod is a podcast that contains sensitive material at times. We understand that sometimes the subjects are too much for some of the listeners. We thank each and every one of you for being a member of the community and always supporting us. Thank you for everything, and we'll see you next time. So stay tuned. <laughs>